Good evening. It's kind of like hoping Weston wouldn't skip those two courses, take up a little more time. You know, I started looking at things that was missing in my life growing up. God was one of them. But so was a father, my earthly father. And I never really knew what a father's love was, except for my grandpa. Of course, you know, he's old school, so the belt come out quite a bit for me. So, um, not that I didn't deserve it. But, you know, that's one thing that always scared me growing up was for someday for me to become a father because I really didn't know what to do. So I chose this. It's a familiar but worthwhile parable. It's called the Father's Love. If you guys would please turn to Luke 15 starting with verse 11. It's familiar but definitely worthwhile. Starting verse 11, it says, And Jesus said, A man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estates with loose living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to become impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he set him into the fields to feed the swine. And he would have gladly filled the, his stomachs with the pods that the swines were eating, and no one was giving him anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have more than enough bread? But I am dying with hunger. I will get up, I will go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up. <clears throat> He came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, and he felt compassion for him. And he ran, and he embraced him, and he kissed him. And the son said to his father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out the best robe, and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and he has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. Verse 25 says, Now his older son was in the field, and he came and approached the house, and he heard music and dancing. 
And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he answered, I'm sorry. But he came, became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered said, and said to his father, Look, for many years I have been serving you, and I have never neglected a command of yours. And yet you have never given me a young goat so that I can may celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you have, only been, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead, and he has begun to live, and was lost and has been found. The prodigal, or the parable of the prodigal son is among other things a story about how God shows his loves in ways that we can relate to as human beings. You see, God loves us in big ways. Ways that are evident, but really hard to relate to as humans. A couple of examples. The sun in the sky that provides so many of our needs is a big way that he shows his love. Have we ever thought about that? The way that he has ordered history to provide a savior to die for our sins. This is another big proof of his concerns for us. There is no doubt that these and other actions on God's part demonstrates his great love for each and every one of us. The problem is, of course, that none of us have the power to create a star. A star. We can't manipulate history. So it's difficult for us sometimes to fully appreciate what God's big ways are to lo that he loves us. But in the story of the prodigal son, we see the intimate human ways that God our Father loves us. Ways that, that we as humans can understand and relate to and ways that a father loves a son. There's three things here that I want to, what we're going to review is this parable. These three ways that his, this father showed his love for his son, and also by extension, three ways that God showed his love for us. Number one, he let him go. He showed his love by letting his son go. See, it was customary in those days for the eldest son to not only receive a double portion of his father's inheritance, but to be the first one to do so. It was also customary to wait until the father died or the father chose to partial out his wealth to his children. This child didn't wait his turn or he waited until the father decided to give it to him. He demanded his portion right away, and we see that the father, without a word, gave him his portion and let him go. 
He let him go against wise counsel. He let him go without manipulation. He even let him go with no strings attached. When the son was old enough to make his own decision, foolish as it was, the father let him make that decision. He loved him enough to let him go. It seems like we've had a lot of sermons here lately kind of revolving, and like I said, me and Doug was talking about this earlier, that, you know, we talk about free will, how God wants us to choose him. God our Father is like this. He lets us go as well. We are free to disobey him if we want to. We can reject and abandon the church if we choose to. We can ignore all the wise counsel of his word and the prompting of his Holy Spirit and go our own way if that's what we want to do. You know, sometimes people think that God should throw a thunderbolt at us to stop us or build a wall. Just stop me. If I'm going to do something wrong, just stop me. Sometimes we think that should be our love. But love means leaving the door open, not locking it up like a prison. God loves man enough to allow him to be free. He loves man enough to risk rejection in order to gain true faithfulness and love in return. He doesn't make the mistake that some fathers make in confusing control with compassion. There's a difference. God loves us enough to deny self and allow his children to choose the way we live and to live the way we choose. But like the father in this parable, God's love doesn't end with a goodbye. Point number two is he waits for a return. He waits for a return. How many of us as parents know the pain and the anguish of curfews on our children? The thing that I've noticed with kids and curfews, but not always inclusive, is this. Mothers pray. Mothers hope. But what do fathers do? They wait. That's what we do, we wait. How many of us remember when our sons and our daughters had their first date? How many of us remember our sons and daughters' first job at night or the first football game that was away from home? We knew how far they were going how long it would take, and what time they were supposed to be home. Fathers wait. Silently, sometimes. Expectantly. Fearing hurt and ready to receive. When the kids come in, what do they usually say? 
You didn't have to wait up for me. Kids don't understand. Parents wait. Fathers wait. In the parable, it says that the father saw him returning while he was still a long way off. The father was not barricaded behind closed doors. He didn't have the locks changed. As soon as, he, as the son left, he was expectant and made himself available at every glimpse of the son's return. Put yourself there as that father. Can you see the scene? We don't know how long he was away. It doesn't say. But every day, the father looking down the road, waiting, looking, and waiting. God loves us like that. He waits expectantly for our return. He makes himself visible all the while. Everywhere there are signs of God's presence and his love. If we would only open our eyes and see the beauty and the love demonstrated by his creation that shelters and feeds us. The will and the consciousness that we possess and continually attest to the abilities given by our Father to have the freedom and the right to choose right or wrong. The Bible that speaks of God's love and provides assurance and guidance for a good life. The guidance for a good life here and an eternal life with God in heaven. These are all signs of God's love. He reminds, of his, reminds us of his concerns for us no matter where we go. He's waiting on us. Our Father waits. The father in this parable also had great faith. At one point, he said to his older son that the younger son had been dead, but now was alive. This was a fair assessment of this young son's condition. He was gone. He was unfaithful. He was destitute. He was dead to his God, dead to his family, and dead to his people. The son was. But the father waited for this dead son's return. Sometimes that's the foolishness of fathers who love their children. They hope against hope. Even against hope sometimes to receive him back from the dead. God is like this in that while we are, while we are in sin, while we ignore him, while we harm ourselves, while we mock him, and all that he has done to show us his love day after day after day, he's showing us he waits for us. He plans for us and works each day to win us back and wait anxiously to see us from afar off returning to him. And when, he return, and when we return, God displays his greatest show of love. That is, he restores us when we return. So he lets us go. He waits for us to return. And when we do return, he restores us back 
to him in sonship. Which brings us to point three, he restores us. You know, it's one thing to take back an erring child. It's quite another to restore an erring child. What the son wanted was just to be taken back. Just take me back. Just give me some food and some shelter. I'll earn my keep and I'll act properly. I'll do whatever you say. It's what he deserved. It's better than what he deserved to find food and shelter. What he was asking for was to live under a new set of rules. Under self-imposed law. He was ready to trade everything back. But what his father wasn't giving him was rules. What the father gave him back was restoration and mercy. The father's gift showed how the son was restored. Can you see the scene? Every day this father was going outside, day in and day out. Every day he was looking down the road, just waiting to see a glimpse of his son that he loved. Come out, look, nope. Come out the next day, nope. Day after day, he waits. He sees him and he runs to him and he hugs and kisses him. Can you just see the son just begging, I'm sorry, I've been bad, I've really messed up. And all the while in the middle of all this, the father quieted him. He quieted him with love. He quieted him with kisses, which showed his affection. He felt compassion, which told the son that he understood his pain and the effort that it took to come back. The father put the best robe on him, which signifies position. Long robes back then were worn by nobles, not servants. The ring is a mark of sonship. He was belonging. The father took him back as a son, not as a slave. The sandals signified that he was not, that he was not to be treated as a slave. Back then, slaves went barefoot. The fattened calf in celebration was the most precious gift as well. Why was that so important? The father gave his son the right to laugh again. The right to experience joy again. Because with forgiveness comes restoration and with restoration comes joy. Otherwise, the son would never experience joy because he would always feel that he would have to temper his laughter and joy because he didn't think he was worthy. Because he messed up. Guess what? We all mess up. We are not, learnt, we are not worthy, but that's God's love for us. He restores us. God gives us the right to experience joy again. 
He gives us the right to laugh again and to be part of a family. The father restored his son back to sonship again with all of his rights and privileges. He even defended him to his older brother who was jealous of his father's goodness and mercy. The, other brother the older brother would have probably preferred some legal arrangement. In verses 29 and 31 in the scripture, it says, the older son states, I, I, I. And he even goes to say, your son, not my brother, your son. But in verse 31 and 32, the father says, you have always been with me and all is yours. Your brother was dead and now he is alive. So quick questions to ponder. Why is it that a father could accept his youngest son so easily, but the brother couldn't? God will restore a brother and forgive, but as a brother and sisters in Christ, we need to do the same things. Our God, our Father in heaven is this type of Father. When we return to Him, He doesn't give us what we deserve or what we earned. He restores us completely as sons and daughters. And as sons and daughters, we have a few things. When we're restored, we have no more sin. Acts 2.38 it says, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit. It doesn't say some of your sins. Categorically your sins. It's all the sins. No more sin. No more shame. His father covered his son with a robe. We're covered with Christ. Galatians 3, 26 and 27. For, for ye all are the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. No more condemnation. He doesn't accuse us and he doesn't allow anyone else to accuse us. Romans 8.1 There is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. If God doesn't accuse you, you shouldn't accuse yourself. If you are a true son and daughter of God and the devil or Satan's accusing you in your head, don't listen. What does the word of God say? Christ has taken care of that. We have to accept that. There's no restitution to be made. The cross did that for us. 1 Peter 2.24 says, Who his, his own self bear our sins in his own body on that tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness. By whose stripes ye were healed. 
The thing you owe God for all that we have done has been paid for on the cross of Christ. We don't have to worry about that no more. How about no more sadness? We have a hope in heaven. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 says, Rejoice always. So why do we rejoice? Because we're not sick. We don't have the flu. We're not aging. My sore back. I'm losing my hair. Whatever the case may be. Is that a reason why we should be rejoicing? No. It's our future, not our present. We have a hope of heaven before us. In addition to this, God our Father defends us against the constant charges of Satan that we are unworthy. By keeping the blood of Christ and the prayers of the Holy Spirit consistently at the throne of mercy on our behalf, defending and justifying us. Listen, we don't have to justify ourselves before God. The cross of Christ has done that for us. If only we would let him. If only we would let him. When the, heavenly Father, when the Heavenly Father restores us, He restores us to our heavenly position as sons and daughters of God occupying the right hand of His throne with Jesus. This parable teaches us many practical lessons as fathers specifically, but as parents in general. The purpose of our work with our children is to eventually let them be what they choose to be. Even when that doesn't match or even remotely match what we want for them. That is why God has given us a free will. A phrase I heard and I've said before to my kids, it's your life. But as a father, I want to help you live it. I want to give you the tools to use it. And at the end of the day, only one vote counts. It's yours. I've made my choices. Some of them not good choices, some bad choices. But I've made my choices, and here I am today. God has given us the freedom to choose, but he wants us to choose freely to serve him. Another thing that we have to do is we can let go, but we mustn't give up. There's a difference. We can still have influence in relationships through prayer, through love and willingness to monitor and encourage their progress and even sympathize with their failures. And lastly, Fathers don't say, I told you so. They say, I love you so. I love you so. When the prodigals come home, we don't make slaves out of them. We make sons and daughters out of them once again. It also demonstrates the very real way that God deals with us. His children... So 
sometimes even little wild children. He treats us with love and patience. The prodigal son was a wild child who finally, finally come home to, his, to the arms of his loving and forgiving father. This is the essence and the beauty of this parable, and it is relevant in every place and every person, including me, where fathers are patiently waiting for the return or the turning around of their prodigal son or daughter. If you are a young father, prepare to wait. If you're an older father, prepare to wait. You know how much I love participation, right? Before the invitation, I want, I want you guys to do something for me. I would like for each of you, of you guys to look to your left and look to your right. These people are our children, our spouses, our parents, our brothers and sisters. Now, as you look at them, can you say to them tonight, I want you in heaven with me? Denise, I want you in heaven with me. Aiden? I want you in heaven with me. Steve, I want you in heaven with me. Can you actually look at your partner, or the people next to you, can you say that? This is a twofold action. You're encouraging a person, but you're also looking, for, looking at yourself. Are you ready? So how about you? Have you gone far away from your heavenly father? You're only there because he let you go. But remember, you got yourself there. He never wanted you to go. This moment he waits for your return. No matter how far you've gone, no matter how bad you think you are, he waits. Our Father waits. You can always come home to your, the arms of your loving Heavenly Father, even if your earthly father won't have you. He is there with your robe of righteousness, your ring of sonship or daughtership, your sandals of peace and freedom. And the feast is being prepared in heaven where the singing and rejoicing has already begun. Whatever your needs are tonight, whether it's prayers from the church or if you need to put on Christ in baptism, won't you come home to your Father now as we stand and sing the song of invitation.